Welcome to another episode of Are You Fucking Shitting Me? I'm April. Those of you who have been listening since the beginning of our show may remember one of our first episodes, which was about Wonder Woman and the true history of the Amazons. In that episode, we interviewed a professor at Harvard named Jill Lepore, who had written a book about the creator of Wonder Woman. Well, there's a new movie coming out in the next couple weeks called Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, and here's a clip from the trailer. Who's Charles Moulton? That is my pseudonym. Why don't you write Wonder Woman under your real name? Because most Americans have a low opinion of comic book writers? Or is it something else? A person is most happy when they are submissive to a loving authority. I want to study her. She'll break your heart. You'll be jealous. I'm your wife, not your jailer. I think you long for an unconventional life. Maybe I just want her because you do. You think it's possible to love two people at the same time? Why not? What is normal? It can never happen. The world won't let it. The world can't stop us. In that trailer, the story seems a lot more salacious than what Jill Lepore had written about in her book, which was the story of Marston and these two women, and it was a much deeper emotional love story, not this kind of salacious threesome triad sex romp that this movie makes it look like. We actually reached out to Jill Lepore to see what she thought, and she wanted to make it clear that this film was not based on her book. So we just wanted to get that out there and let everyone know that. So for this week, we're going to re-air that episode. Here it is. All the world is waiting for you And the power you possess Okay, so here's the thing about Wonder Woman. Uh, in a full disclosure, I was actually more of a Diana Prince fan. I liked the nerdy, secret, smart woman who worked behind the scenes. But I loved Paradise Island. I was into a woman-run society, not because I didn't like guys. You know, I was a younger sister. I just liked the idea of the women being powerful. They were smarter. They were faster. They took care of shit, and I loved that. I really liked the boots. Yeah, the bracelets weren't bad either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's call in our first expert. Here's Lex Luthor. Paradise Island, birthplace of Wonder Woman, home of the eternally young and beautiful Amazons. Hippolyta, queen and ruler of the island, molds a young girl out of clay under the guidance of Athena, goddess of wisdom. How beautiful. I love this little girl as if she were my own. Oh, Aphrodite, goddess of beauty and love, grant my wish and let me have this one as my daughter. You shall have your wish, Hippolyta, and she shall be named after the moon goddess and called Diana. And so Diana was born of the gods. To be as strong as Hercules and swifter than Mercury. 
the most beautiful Amazon on Paradise Island. But a strange peril in the outer world is soon to alter Diana's life. Hippolyta, you must find the strongest Amazon maiden and send her to the United States to help fight the war and crush evil. Your wish shall be obeyed, Aphrodite. And so the queen announces to the Amazons that a tournament will be held to find the strongest and most able female of all. Oh, mother, I can't wait to take part in the tournament. I know I shall win. No, my daughter, I forbid it. The winner of the tournament must leave Paradise Island. She will have to give up her birthright of eternal youth and beauty. Later, in Diana's dressing quarters... The tournament is about to begin. With this mask, I can take part in the games without my mother knowing. In history as we know it, Diana won the tournament and her mother was forced to allow her to leave Paradise Island and become Wonder Woman. Alright, so who came up with this crazy story? We talked to Jill Lepore, a professor at Harvard and author of The Secret History of Wonder Woman. My name is Jill Lepore. I'm a professor of history at Harvard and a staff writer for The New Yorker. So Wonder Woman was created by the predecessor to DC Comics as a remedy for the controversy over Superman and Batman, which were much derided and were in fact censored in the late 1930s because Superman looked like a fascist. He's an ubermensch after all. Uh, He's from a master race of men and looked politically quite insidious to a lot of American parents who saw their kids reading Superman. And Batman, when he started, carried a gun and people were really opposed to that at the time. There was a lot of gun control legislation, federal gun control legislation in the 1930s. So Wonder Woman was created in 1941 by William Moulton Marston, although real, and he's credited with her creation. Although really, Wonder Woman was a product of the whole Marston family. <laughs> the entire clan had a hand in creating Wonder Woman. Each piece of her lore and even bits of her costume come from different pe- different members of the family and different family stories. Uh, some of that was revealed at the time. Wonder Woman was, you know, much vaunted and promoted by the predecessor of DC Comics who published her beginning in 41. Much of the backstory of Wonder Woman was hidden and it was kept really as a family secret. Uh, In any case, Marston, some of his big influences for Wonder Woman were the suffrage and feminist activists of his young adulthood. He grew up in the 19-teens and especially birth control activists. So uh, Marston's Wife had been an active suffragist at Mount Holyoke College, and they lived in a three-way marriage with another woman named Olive Byrne, who was the niece of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. And uh, the family was very intimately tied to women who were involved in all kinds of radical feminist feminism in the 19-teens and the 1920s. Marston's wife, Elizabeth Holloway, had read Sappho, in college, the poet from Lesbos. Sappho was her favorite poet. Her book of Sappho's poems was her favorite book. She had it on her nightstand of the day she died when she was 100. I mean, this was, this was a woman who was in love with the poet Sappho. And so a lot of the stuff in Wonder Woman that is Amazonian, she's supposed to have been, you know, the princess of the Amazons, comes from Morrison's wife's obsession with Sappho. And so there are things like in the DC comic archives, comics archives, there was this great document that Morrison's wife wrote after Morrison died. He died just a few years after he created Wonder Woman. And Morrison's widow really wanted to be the new editor and writer of the Wonder Woman comics. And DC refused to hire her because in their great wisdom, they were unwilling to hire a woman. But so she wrote this like very, very long memo that she typed up 
she and Olive Byrne would have written it probably together. So sort of a guide to Wonder Woman for the for the new writer and editor. Like, all right, here's the thing, Wonder Woman. She never says things like, oh, by by Thor's hammer or this nonsense. She says things like, suffering Sappho. So she has all these kind of feminine curses and she has all that are all these allusions to the ancient Greek. And um, a lot of the Wonder Woman shtick <laughs> comes from a really kind of fascinating pop culture version of kind of cult of female love that was part of women's college experience in the beginning of the 20th century. The irony was Wonder Woman turned out to be more, much more controversial than Superman and Batman because of what its critics perceived as, as its overt lesbianism. And also because Wonder Woman in almost every issue that Marston wrote is either chained up or roped or hogtied. She's in bondage in one way or another. And she always breaks free of those bonds. But the stuff just looks really kinky, especially if you look at it today. It's shockingly kinky. Wonder Woman is this kooky visually a really kooky mix of 1940s soft porn and 19-teen suffragette iconography. People wrote in, and it, the, the comic was banned, the Catholic League for, National League for Decen- Decency and Children's Literature something banned it. Remember, the editorial advisory board resigned in protest over it. And Marston kept saying, look, yeah, Wonder Woman has to be tied up or she has to be chained up in every issue because she's an allegory the enslavement of women by men and she has to emancipate herself in every issue. That was the iconography of the suffrage movement. Women during the suffrage movement used to march in chains, dragging balls and chains, because suffrage movement was descended from the abolitionist movement and in the fight to end slavery the iconography of, of being in chains was used all the time. I get letters from all kinds of people who, women who were really shaped by this character who looked around the world of politics, the world of business, the world of law. They looked at the Supreme Court and the legislature, and they looked at their people in town who seemed to be powerful, the firefighters, the policemen, and they didn't see any women who were strong in a way that they, as little girls, felt strong. And they saw that in Wonder Woman, whether it was like watching Linda Carter on television, that TV show that's on the 1970s, or whether it was watching, you know, the Super Friends, whatever it was, like this character that seems to me so bizarre and absurd as a model of female power is actually a model of female power because what, what are the alternatives? All right, so that's the Wonder Woman story based on Sappho. But what about the Greek version of the Amazon story? Rachel, you know all about that. I know some of it. Um, we actually had to go to an expert, but here's the basics. Um, the fact is Greek mythology painted a much less flattering version of the Amazons. Um, Sappho, Wonder Woman, it's pretty idyllic. In the Greek version, Amazons were these man-hating, vicious warrior women, and they killed male babies. That's right, killed little baby boys and lived in the wilds outside of Athens. To find out more, we hit up someone who knows a lot about Greek mythology and the Amazons. But first we asked her about Wonder Woman. She blows my mind, you guys. It's like well-intentioned, you know? You were like, okay, they're trying to like do something cool here, but kind of goes off the rails a little bit. My name is Chiara Solprezio, and I am a senior lecturer at Vanderbilt University, among other things. I also am a docent at the Parthenon uh, Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, this is the other question that people ask a lot, is like, were Amazons lesbians? And the answer is no. There is no evidence so it's like, you know, the sort of like softcore porn sorority party thing that happens in Wonder Woman, like that's not really happening in antiquity at all. 
So what was happening? There's sort of two versions of the Amazon, and you have to sort of separate out what the myth is from what the reality is. For the Greeks, you know, they knew there were these peoples who lived really beyond the bounds of what they considered the civilized world. So I use the word barbarian. That's not an accident. That's what Greek people would have called them. And for Greek people, barbarian does not mean like Conan, although it could. But what it really means is that you don't speak Greek. So they thought that ancient people, like people who were not Greeks, sounded like this, bar, 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 when they talked. <laughs> so that's, why they, that's where the word barbarian comes from. Then she told us an Amazon myth. A lot of the Amazon queens that we hear about in mythology who tango with a Greek hero, for example, Penthesilea, she's the most famous Amazon queen, she is fighting at the, at, in the Trojan War on the Trojan side, and her and Achilles, the foremost hero of the Greeks, um, they get in a like, hand-to-hand combat situation, and he kills her. And as they're, like, locking eyes in that moment where she's dying, they realize that they love each other, and then, like, she dies. There's always that kind of discourse. But at the end of the day, they're still women, right? They're still going to fall in love with you. They're still going to want jewelry. And about Atalanta, a Greek heroine who was actually influenced by the Amazons. They kind of bit their style. So Atalanta is the girl, she's like a female heroine. She's a mythological personality. And she's the one who, there's a lot of different stories associated with her, but the one you may have heard is the one about the app, the golden apples. She's the fat, she can run the fastest. And her dad says, if you want to marry my daughter, you have to beat her in the foot race. And if you don't beat her, then you you die. (laughs) She's like a Greek Amazon. She's just this amazing, untamable big athletic woman she beats all these suitors and they all get killed but then one of them comes along and he tricks her by throwing these golden apples as they're racing and she like goes for them because at the end of the day she's a girl and she likes pretty shiny sparkly things um (laughs) and and that's kind of a part of the amazon myth um but so Atalanta, she's sort of the homegrown version of an Amazon. I think that the Greeks, they kind of imported this idea and created this myth of their own Amazon in a sense. And she is even maybe, I'm not 100% sure if she's ever referred to as an Amazon in any of the texts that we have. But the, you know, the comparison is sort of unmistakable. And she's widely celebrated. There's cult offering to her. So you can extrapolate from some other things like cult practice or like some of these archaeological remains that we have. There were women who, were, who found these kind of stories really positive and who may have even tried to emulate them in the way that they lived their lives. Maybe they rode horses or maybe they were in, interested in sports or whatever, but we just don't have any actual voices of women. It's really hard to know what women would have thought about this message that is being conveyed by the mythological version of Amazon. But I have to believe that there were women out there who viewed it, you know, in a contrary way and in a positive way. All right, now for the juicy part. Woohoo, juicy! <laughs> were Amazons real? Yeah, they're fucking real. <laughs> 
So Kiara then told us that scientists now know for sure the women the Greeks based their myths on were actually real people. They were real women. Herodotus, the historian, maybe the first historian we could say, um, he talks a lot about Amazons and we get a lot of information from him and he associates them in particular with a group called the Sarmatians. And they are these, you know, steppe people. They're the Eurasian steppe people. And he tells us a lot of interesting things about them, including, you guys are going to love this, they smoke pot. And we have, like, archaeological evidence for that. And he tells us the word cannabis. Like, he, it's in the Herodotus, which is amazing. And they, uh, they love tattoos. So all of this, obviously, is, like, fascinating to Greek men. And Greek men... You know, the way that these women are represented, you guys asked me whether they were valued or vilified, and the answer is really both. Like, on the one hand, the Greeks talk about the Amazons as amazing warriors, and they have a lot of respect for their abilities, their fighting abilities. And they kind of are in awe of the whole concept, obviously, because they talk about it all the time, and it's in art everywhere, and it, you know, it's just like a thing that never goes away. However... It's also, you know, this ghastly example of, you know, barbaric femininity. It's everything that's wrong with womanhood left unchecked. It's, you know, and, and they use it as a way to really rationalize their own patriarchal style of rule and of start how they structure society because they're like, okay, see, this is what happens when you just let women run wild. Here's the thing that's still tripping me out, though. Even the word Amazon is shrouded in myth and misinformation. This is a perfect place where you can see where there's just two roads diverging in a wood. So most people believe to this day that the word Amazon comes from the word breast, which was madzon in Greek, and then the A is what we call the alpha privative. So when you put an A on it, it means without, i.e. without a breast. And there's this whole idea that like these Amazon women like cut off a breast so that they could be better with the bow and arrow, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, this was a theory that a Greek man came up with to explain their name. It, people in antiquity didn't even buy it. But for some reason to this day, people repeat this false etymology. Like, and if you look at any artwork of Amazons from antiquity, you will never see one with one breast. So it's just so kind of dummy dumb. I don't know why we just really want to believe that these women self-mutilated. I think it makes them that much more barbaric, but it's completely untrue. And really what we think is that the name Amazon comes from old Persian or Iranian languages. The word Hamazon, it could mean all women or it could mean warrior. So do scientists know where these women came from? There seems to have been some nomadic groups who lived around the Black Sea, modern-day Ukraine to the north, Turkey to the south, and maybe even ranging all the way to modern-day Mongolia that featured females that fought. And we know this because we have lots of graves that we have recovered. Um, and in those graves, we find female skeletons with not only grave goods that are typically associated with men, so swords, bows and arrows, daggers, things like that, but also the skeletons themselves feature war injuries that are the kinds of things that would happen to you when fighting in battle. 
there's a wonderful book that just came out in 2014 by Adrian Mayer called The Amazons. I think that's probably the sort of high watermark right now for scholarship in this area. And she says that one-third of the graves that have been recovered from that Black Sea region um, that are female graves feature these kind of grave goods and or, and or these kind of martial injuries. Well, we only had one choice. We had to go to the source and talk directly to Adrian Mayer. My name is Adrian Mayer. I'm a research scholar in the Classics Department and the History of Science program at Stanford University. Modern historians had long assumed that the world of Amazons was really just an elaborate fiction that was sort of brought to life by the Greek storytelling imagination, that these were just creatures of mythology. But now, thanks to some really spectacular and fairly recent archaeological discoveries, we have compelling evidence that tells us that the Amazons of Greek mythology were most likely modeled on real warrior women of tribes that lived on the steppes. These were nomadic tribes that lived on the steppes stretching from the, well, from actually from the Danube River on the western coast of the Black Sea all the way across what would be Ukraine, uh, southern Russia, all the way to Mongolia and even to inner Asia and touching the borders of China. These are the peoples that the Chinese built their Great Wall to keep out. Wait, what? Rewind that part. These are the peoples that the Chinese built their Great Wall to keep out. So these women were so fierce, the Great Wall of fucking China was ah, built? Yeah, it was. All right, go on with the story. These people were known to the Greeks as Scythians, and they called that vast region Scythia. That term is uh, often used just as shorthand by modern archaeologists, but the Greeks used it as a sort of blanket term for all these nomads that lived in that territory. And these were diverse, but they're culturally related tribes. Uh, they all had their own histories. Some of them had uh, different languages, but they were all culturally related. Their lives centered on horses and archery and constant warfare. Their culture sort of comes into existence around the Bronze Age and goes up through AD 500, so a very long, flourishing culture of steppe warriors. And archaeologists have discovered, I think, more than a thousand now uh, Scythian grave mounds called Kurgans, and they contain rich golden treasures and very distinctive nomadic clothing, armor, weapons that shows that they were all riding horses and shooting bows and arrows and having constant warfare. It turns out that about 25% to 30% of the people buried with weapons. Now that we have DNA tests, we know that about a third of those people were actually female warriors buried with their weapons. And many of them had war injuries very similar to the, to the male warriors. So these were probably the models for the Amazon. Did you hear that? Now, thanks to DNA testing, scientists know for sure 30% of those graves, which previously they thought were men, were actually graves of women. Okay, so why was there so much confusion? Why were Amazons thought to be a tribe of all women? Um, but Scythians were thought to be all male warriors. Where was the disconnect here? At first, when they first began telling the stories about Amazons, they kind of speculated that it would be all women. And one, one reason might have been because male, female Scythians, they all wore the same clothing and used the same weapons. So you couldn't really tell uh, male from female. That was something that really... Uh, bothered the Greeks that you couldn't tell the difference between male and female 
Scythians. They all dressed the same. They could use battle axes and they could all shoot bows and arrows. They all wore jewelry, uh, so they looked the same. But as the, as the Greeks began to learn more and more about the real people that lived in Scythia, they understood then that Amazons were Scythian women and so that their, their husbands were Scythians. And, and they referred to the Amazons as Scythian women. And then there's that rumor that Amazon women cut off their breast. Where did that come from? Anyone who's ever watched the Hunger Games or actually, you know, shot a bow knows that it, that's ridiculous. But it's something that just sticks like super glue for more than 2,500 years. Okay, we know that Greek men feared, but also admired the Amazons. I'm interested in knowing what did Greek women think about them? These stories weren't just told by men. Uh, women love these stories, too. Uh, and so every man, woman, child, boys and girls, they all knew these stories about Amazons, and they saw their pictures everywhere. What's really interesting to me is that there were even Amazon dolls for little girls to play with. In the past, most scholars, many scholars have said that the stories of Amazons were a kind of uh, male propaganda or state propaganda to, to discourage Greek women from wanting to become Amazons or to live lives like that or to heroize them in any way. But if we've got little dolls for girls to play with, we, we know this because there's a collection of them in the, in the Louvre. They have articulated arms and legs, and some of them can be dressed in different costumes. And these were found in the graves of, of little girls, Greek and Roman-era little girls. They obviously were playing with these little dolls as they were hearing these stories. So I think that really calls that old theory that it was propaganda to discourage women into question. And the other bit of evidence that we have, and it's quite actually massive, many Amazon vase paintings are on vases that were used by women exclusively. So there are women decorating perfume jars and jewelry cases. And some of the uh, pictures show the women getting the best of the, of the Greek warriors. So it's pretty obvious that women uh, in Greece love these stories. I think it raises some questions about the relations between Greek men and women that we just don't know. Here's a question that's always intrigued me. These steppe women were, you know, everywhere from Mongolia to the Black Sea. But how did the name Amazon end up in the New World? Are they related? When the conquistadors came to the New World, they expected to find all of the mythological and fantastic creatures from ancient Greek mythology. They thought they would find griffins, giants, phoenixes, uh, water monsters, and Amazons. But also, there was a very famous popular novel written in about 1500 by Rodriguez Montalvo, which had a character that was an Amazon queen who lived in the New World. And her name was Khalifa. That comes from the Arabic word for leader, caliph. So we know that Hernando Cortez read it. He quoted it in 1524. So they expected that they would find ancient Greek Amazons of mythology, and they all had this popular novel in mind. So everywhere they went in South America, they asked about female warriors, Amazons. And the story is that every tribe told them, oh, yes, they live just a few miles beyond us. And so this mythology and this sort of imaginative uh, speculation drove the Spanish on, and they named the Amazon River after mythological Amazons of Greece. 
And the story is that they named California after Queen Khalifa. Okay, no fucking way. No wonder we're progressive in California. Okay, so this story tells us that at least the Spanish were talking about Amazons. Were there other cultures that were creating myths or stories about them? You can find stories about Amazon-like women in Egypt, Persia, Caucasia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Iran, Central Asia. Um, There's stories in India and then even in China. The famous story of Mulan, the warrior woman of China, she was actually, her heritage was a steppe nomad family. Wait, Mulan? Disney Mulan? Mulan Mulan? Yeah. (laughs) A Chinese uh, linguist um, studied the origins of her name, and it had been thought that it meant something like white lotus in Chinese, but actually it's an inner Asian steppe name that means something like deer or elk. Okay, obviously, there is a huge difference between the Greeks' interpretation of Amazons and other cultures' interpretation of Amazons, which, frankly, tend to be more realistic than the Greeks. The warlike women often form uh, alliances and friendships with the enemy males once they've fought, and they realize that they're so well-matched. In many of those stories, they fall in love and decide to go on and fight battles together. (laughs) So I I think that that difference is really something to pay attention to. Fast forward to today, how have these stories of the Amazons influenced modern cultures? Are there any warrior women today? First of all, I should say that the today's descendants of the Scythian nomads in Mongolia and Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, those people do embrace egalitarian lifestyle and women can rise to leadership positions and boys and girls still all learn to ride horses when they're toddlers. They still practice archery. The most nomadic groups right now are Kazakhs who have been dispersed in Mongolia, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and in China and they still have a lot of freedom for women. So you could call those modern Amazons. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Those are the facts about Amazon women. Turns out they were egalitarian, not matriarchal. That's amazing that they're still around. Yeah. And still live in these egalitarian societies that seem to be very similar to these ancient cultures. Yeah. I mean, it's remarkable that what actually creates more equality for us, it seems, is necessity, is the um, fact that everybody has to pitch in. Maybe the Amazons had it right, you know, and the Greeks, who we think of as this highly democratic society that we based our democracy on. Mm, (laughs) Maybe. Our great experiment is maybe showing some cracks. Let's just look (laughs) around at what's going on right now. Uh, (laughs) that's another podcast that's it for this episode uh bye bye